and collection of sentient neurons. Welcome back to another episode of Rainbows. We are your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And we are delighted to be joined by Sarah Luedi and Ellen Rowe, hosts and founders of A Minor Podcast. We cannot wait to chat with you about that, chat, learn a little bit more about your work, and really dive into the science of neuroscience. So buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> thanks yeah. for joining us today. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so today's a little bit different than what we're usually going to do. Actually, we're going to be talking about Ellen's research uh, on Alzheimer's from a neurodegenerative neuroscience perspective. <laughs> Jeez Louise. This is, I, yeah. Kyle and I are out of our element. I don't know if you can Neurodegenerative. 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 Keep all this in the, in the show. <laughs> um, that's exactly why I write a script. <laughs> I could write neurodegenerative five times, Sarah, and yeah. it wouldn't help me pronounce it. Yeah, it's not going to help. I just want one good cut at it. And then, Drake, I'll just ask you to go back and edit it in every time I try and say it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Setting all that aside. Yeah. Yes. Drake. Take yeah. it away. So we're going to be we're going to be talking about Ellen's work. Uh, and then we're going to kind of talk about uh, just kind of what Aminder is the podcast that, uh, that we're kind of collabing with right now with Sarah and Ellen, uh, and why uh, science communication can be look so different and why it's so important. And Sarah is going to give a little bit of perspective on on why or her experiences within uh, education. Um, so, Ellen, uh, let's talk about your work. What is the work that you uh, you're currently working on? Yeah, thanks. So I'm doing my PhD at UBC in Vancouver. Um, and I just started last year. So everything's just kind of crystallizing right now. But um, my work is on Alzheimer's research and kind of the wider scope of dementia research in, in general. So Alzheimer's is a neurodegenerative um, disease that falls under the umbrella of dementia. So anything that causes someone to lose their memory progressively. So I'm focused on Alzheimer's research and taking the perspective of looking at the blood vessels um, and how their health may contribute to um, Alzheimer's. Um, so can I ask you a couple questions that are probably going to seem very basic, but I think like gives a lot of context to what yeah, you do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? How do you get classified as al having Alzheimer's versus just having dementia? So Alzheimer's falls under the umbrella of dementia. So there's lots of different kinds of dementia. Parkinson's disease is a type of dementia, Alzheimer's disease. Um, there's Lewy body dementia, all sorts of different ones. And the way that they're classified is through what we actually see happening in the brain. Um, so in Alzheimer's disease, there's two main pathological hallmarks that when we see those in the brain, we can confirm that a person has Alzheimer's disease. And these are um, plaques of protein called amyloid beta. So this protein is really sticky and it aggregates outside of the cells in the brain, forming big plaques. And then there are neurofibrillary tangles. So inside of the neurons, um, there's a protein called tau that stabilizes the microtubules, which is kind of like the skeleton of the neuron. And then this tau gets um, hyperphosphorylated, I guess. So it gets a bunch of tags of something else on it, and it dissociates from these microtubules and causes them all to get tangled up inside the neurons. So that causes the neurons to die. So when you see those two things, the tau tangles inside the neurons and the plaques outside of the neurons, you can confirm that it's Alzheimer's. Interesting. Okay. That was a lot. My <laughs> Lord. Um, <laughs> this is why I avoided biology in high school and it's being reinforced even more. Thanks, Helen. Um, so that's brilliant though. That, I mean, that is truly like the best explanation I've ever heard of that I've never, I'll never really fully understand, but there, there's I've a lot of detail about, there. I've learned more about Alzheimer's in the last like 30 seconds than ever yeah. before. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, so what are, are there differences in what 
you would see from an Alzheimer's patient, like like actual symptoms compared to just, you know, the other types of dementia? Or is it just more or less they're going to be eliciting similar symptoms and then it's until you get that test, you don't know which one it is? Right. So there are some differences that that clinicians are trained to pick out through different cognitive tests. Um, But it is important to note that a clinician diagnosing Alzheimer's disease based on just these cognitive tests, there's about a 30% error rate. So you actually need to see those plaques and tangles inside of the brain to be absolutely sure that it is Alzheimer's. Okay, interesting. And so what what tests are you doing? What are you running to to get it to find these images? Is it fMRI? Or is it what, what, what type of imaging is it is it that you're doing? Um, So I'm not actually doing any of the imaging, but Mm. for imaging to diagnose Alzheimer's, they're working on developing different PET scans um, that are able to bind to these plaque forming proteins. You can visualize them in the brain. And I think tau is still, the tau tangles are still largely, you need to see them post-mortem. So once you dissect the brain and then you can stain for these specific specific hallmarks so for the tau or like one of the one of the two markers you don't you can't actually tell when the person's actually living yeah and that kind of leads into to part of my research which is identifying biomarkers so things that you can measure in the blood or in the cerebral spinal fluid that can be indicative of what's actually happening in the brain Um, and that and that's a huge blossoming field in alzheimer's research right now trying to diagnose without um, these cognitive tests that are prone to lots of error and without having to wait for the person to die so uh, for the cognitive scientist in me, I'm, I'm curious, what kind mm-hmm. of testing do you or would a clinician use? Um, I'm not super familiar with all the tests. I can bring off a, a few names, maybe, just from having read some papers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. There's the MMSE or MM3, oh, yeah. mini mental state. That's a big one yep. um, that I've seen a lot. What and... does that, what's that look like? Do you know Kyle or do you know Ellen? Yeah, the mini mental... Uh, the mini mental state exam is like a 10 question little thing that if you are not cognitively impaired, you'd look at it and be like, how could you fail this? Right. But um, if you are exhibiting forms of cognitive impairment, then it can be quite challenging. And they test, um, they kind of, the way they do it, they go about examining kind of different processes um, so that they can get a a really broad picture of what's going on. Uh, there, there's a reason it's called the mini. I think it's only, I think it's like 10 questions. Yeah, it's pretty so, short. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just looking at it right now, actually, just a little bit of context. So the, the actual test would be, you know, it's based on certain points, but you have to a- answer really basic questions, like Kyle said. So a couple examples would be, what is the year? What season is it? What's the date? What day is it? Mm-hmm. What month is it? Uh, where are you now? You, you know, the, the common question that you see a lot in media that they probably, I don't know, they don't ask this here, but like, who, who's the president? Like, that would probably be like <laughs> something that you could ask in these kind of things, you know? Uh, and then they start asking them kind of more specific things like, you know, copy this picture and it's a very basic picture of, you know, two hexagons or something like that. Um, so just kind of looking at, you know, cognitively how you're functioning, I imagine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds about right. I, I find it fascinating that you know we can't it's alzheimer's is one of these weird ones where you know um as we wait on your work ellen we're still kind of i guess guessing you know it's not until the until the the individual's deceased that we can go in and and i say we i don't do any of this but anybody can go in or you know yeah and actually see what's what's going on in the brain yeah that's why the field of biomarkers is so exciting right now and and you can actually measure um that this tau protein that creates the tangles in the brain, you can measure that in the blood. And there was actually just recently a test that, that's hit pretty big in the field. Um, and it's very sensitive and can diagnose Alzheimer's pretty well just by measuring this this one thing in the blood. So wow. we're making progress. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe this is beyond your scope at this point, but 
you know, let's say let's say that we do get to a point where hey, we can actually we can actually diagnose somebody with with Alzheimer's or the early stages of Alzheimer's. What can we do, or what 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 is available in terms of treatment options, or is that kind of a next step that we don't even want to think about at this point? Right. So there actually aren't any disease modifying treatment avenues. There's treatments that can deal with the symptoms, and those are already available, um, like some of the drugs, um, cholinergic acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. Um, those are those are a big one that are on the market right now that can delay the progression of Alzheimer's once you already have it, but they can't stop it in its tracks. Um, and the first drug that is actually able to maybe stop it in its tracks um, is just being filed for FDA approval in the States right now. So it may be available on the market soon. And that drug is based on an antibody that can actually clear the plaques that form outside of the neurons from the brain. Um, so that's super exciting and super cool. So we may be able to offer that as a treatment avenue once we're able to figure out who has these plaques and who doesn't, but we're not quite there yet. That's incredible. I yeah. mean, <laughs> you know, to think that, hey, we could actually uh, stop this debilitating disease kind of ahead of ahead of the game. For sure. Um, and yeah, a lot of focus is being put on actually preventing it before someone gets it because it, it has been really challenging. People have been trying to develop drugs that clear these plaques for, for many, many years and have had little success. And even the drug that is pending FDA approval right now, um, some things about the study seem a little bit sketchy, so people are kind of wary of it. So yeah, a lot of focus has been putting on has been put on preventing it altogether. Diagnosing it's also quite important because one question sure. I commonly get is, can you revert the damage done in Alzheimer's disease? So the earlier diagnose it, I would assume would be the better because once the neurons die, uh, I don't know that there's a way. Like we're looking to neurogenesis right now, uh, but with neurogenesis, like so basically uh, having new neurons. <laughs> come and replace the ones that die, like there's, it's quite complicated because you want to also have them make the right connections. And um, so diagnosing as well is quite important. For sure. Right. It's, I find it really fascinating and I'm sorry to derail this, but I find <laughs> it interesting because some of my work um, looking into the effects of physical activity on the brain yeah. have shown that there are associations with uh, not only Alzheimer's prevention uh, or mitigation perhaps in the long run, but uh, also in neurogenesis more broadly. But it's still, as you pointed out, Sarah, it still leaves this problem where, you know, we might have an idea as to what creates new neurons, but we can't create them in targeted ways. So we can't put them in certain places in the brain and make them make certain connections. That's not necessarily the way. At this point, we don't, we don't know how to do that. So yeah. And I think to build off of off of exercise being a good preventative measure, it seems that a lot of things that can increase or maintain blood flow in the brain are really, really good. Um, and so, yeah, my kind my work is kind of looking down that route to see, OK, what in the blood? So when you get that blood flow, obviously things are passing through the blood vessels. So what things in the blood vessels are protecting those vessels and maintaining that um, cerebral blood flow? So it's really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's really neat. It shows so eloquently uh, the relationship between physiology, neuroscience and the brain and psychology. Right. And, and there's this I think we, we have a tendency. And again, we I, I use the term very loosely, but we have a tendency to um, put aside one versus the other or, or put a lot of emphasis on one thing. But we kind of forget that there's this other flip side of complementary literature and research that can really inform uh, that kind of work, which I think is neat. Absolutely. Definitely. It's all very connected. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
we talked about Sarah. Sarah mentioned, I think this is really a point, and Kyle was alluding to this as well with his work. You know, the implications here, or just talking about Alzheimer's, it's, I, I kind of think of like, you know, how can we relate this to our listeners? So, mm-hmm. talking about dementia and talking about Alzheimer's and, and the fact that it is related to age, uh, and as you age, you're more likely to, to, to have these cognitive declines. Figuring out and diagnosing it early is, like, like we said, was super important. So, what can we do, you know, to catch catch that earlier, right? So I think bringing it back to even the mini mental state, I kind of it kind of gives you ideas as to how to catch these things with your, you know, your loved ones or older individuals in your lives, right? For sure. Yeah, the earlier you catch it or, or catch signs of it, the earlier you can, you know, add an intervention. Mm-hmm. So there are also other tests that are a little more elaborate than mm-hmm. the MMSC. So like one, I think, is the uh, Alzheimer's disease, like cognitive test, so ADAS-COG, and there's one called MOCA, like Montreal Cognitive. Uh, um, yes, I've heard of that. Uh, yeah, so they look at like word recall, uh, language. Um, I know that orientation, like orienting yourself in space is also uh, effective in Alzheimer's disease. So that's one way where you can distinguish, helps distinguish AD from other dementias. Um, but again, they're like really like based on like uh, some of it is subjective and some of it is just like, like you said, like if you look at the MSC uh, questions, um, it, it can also, I'm guessing, depend on like how you're feeling that day or what happened that day. And some people ask us like, oh, I forgot where I left my key. Like, do I have Alzheimer's? Like, no, yes. that simple. Yes. Um, yeah. You hear that all the time, right? That's like, yeah. a, you know, that's the first indication that you're, you know, you might be cognitively declining, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a really good point. I, I was literally going to use that ex- example. So thank you for mentioning it, Sarah. But I think, you know, it's great. We will include these as well with this podcast episode, because I think, you know, if you do have older elderly individuals in your lives that you may be you know, concerned about, you know, maybe they're not remembering things as, as effectively as they, they used to or things like that, taking, you know, t- having some sort of metric or, you know, being aware of that and being able to get it diagnosed by somebody that can actually diagnose it, hopefully not just giving them these, these surveys and then, you know, diagnosing it yourself at home. I don't think that's the play. No, um, <laughs> no it, ha- it has to be, I mean, these tests, I'm sure you can find them on Google, but yeah, you can. Understanding yeah, you can. it has to be diagnosed properly. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But if you're seeing, I mean, it's, it's quite easy to see, you know, if there are, you know, when you're talking to the, to someone that might have dementia or Alzheimer's or early stage, you know, or later stage, uh, you might pick up on these idiosyncrasies that, you know, that someone should be able to kind of, you know, if they're cognitively functioning in a healthy way, they shouldn't have those issues. Right. Right. Anyway. That's enough of my, my monologue. Um, <laughs> just just more or less trying to target, you know, the fact that, you know, if people are worried or, or thinking about someone that they think might have, you know, uh, cognitive decline or might be wor- like susceptible to dementia, definitely worth checking out and getting it diagnosed earlier than second guessing yourself and delaying that, that diagnosis. For sure. And just living, leading a healthy lifestyle is, is the best way to prevent it, we found. Um, study and study, again, published is just shows eating well. Um, exercising, all of these things are really good with prevention. Absolutely. Oh my yeah. God. And sleep. And like sleep. Sleep Sleep's comes up. <laughs> <laughs> the three pillars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, proper diet, sleep, and health um, is wealth. Yeah, absolutely. Health is wealth. And I think uh, that's a really good way. To, <laughs> that's a really good way to transition into <laughs> your work because we're all healthy graduate students, I'm sure, uh, doing all of these things we're talking about. So, so what does your work directly, you said you're talking a lot about like, uh, how you're looking at blood like the, the yeah sorry, yeah how it's how you can detect it in the blood go take it away because i don't want to screw any any <laughs> intro up here yeah it's all good so i'm looking at pretty much how could we keep the blood vessels healthy 
um, and are people who are predisposed to getting Alzheimer's disease or who already do have Alzheimer's disease, do they have lower levels of these factors that may keep the blood vessels healthy? So I've kind of zoned in on one specific thing that I'm looking at in the blood because, of course, I can't look at all of this for my PhD. <laughs> I'm trying to get out of here in four or five years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but so I'm looking at a type of good cholesterol. So there's actually a lot of links between heart health and like vascular blood vessel health and brain health. Um, and we know that good cholesterol is really great for your heart health, but no one's really looked at it very much in terms of brain health. So I'm looking at a type of good cholesterol. So we, we lump it all together as good cholesterol, but this is actually a very complex group of particles in your blood um, that carry all sorts of different proteins and fats. So I'm looking at a type that carries a specific protein called ApoE. And you may recognize ApoE if you, you're into Alzheimer's research at all, because it's actually the main genetic risk factor for getting Alzheimer's disease. So if you have a type of this ApoE protein, you're more likely to get Alzheimer's disease. And so this, any questions so far? <laughs> uh, no, you're killing it right now. Yeah. I'm not gonna ruin this, <laughs> this flow here. Yeah, go <laughs> on. Um, so this ApoE protein, that's the main risk factor for getting Alzheimer's. Um, it's in the brain, but it's also in the blood on this type of good cholesterol, like I've already mentioned. And everyone, uh, classically thinks of Alzheimer's disease as a brain disease. So of course, there's been lots of research done on ApoE in the brain, but it's been largely ignored in the blood. So I'm kind of taking that angle to the disease to see how this type of good cholesterol carrying ApoE um, may be able to positively reinforce the blood vessels in the brain. So I'm doing a lot of cell culture modeling to do that. And I'm also taking a clinical perspective to measure this type of good cholesterol in people's blood and see if it can predict who will get Alzheimer's disease or who already has Alzheimer's disease. So I'm working with some clinicians to do that part, which is pretty exciting. Cool. Yeah, that's that's really neat work. Thanks. I, I don't <laughs> even know how to contribute a comment to it because I'm just like, <laughs> sweet, nice. Right on. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think that, well, obviously there's a lot of, it's, we always try and look at implications and, and a lot of the guests we have on usually are, you know, psychological researchers where they're looking at human samples right and so right. it's less it's all about mostly above the skin uh more or less and so it's easier to kind of say what the implications are obviously there's significant implications in the work that you're doing so what mm -hmm. are the biggest implications of your work what are you hoping to contribute uh to just alzheimer's research in general what's the main yeah. like what's the hopes <laughs> <laughs> the grand hopes yes well, always <laughs> well we've already talked a lot about biomarkers and how being able to diagnose or predict alzheimer's is really important especially if it can be as simple as a blood test so that would be the main implications of, of the clinical work that i'm doing um and then as for the kind of mechanism work to see how this type of good cholesterol can interact with the cells that form the blood vessels in the brain um, that could ultimately lead to an Alzheimer's disease therapeutic. If, if I find that it can, you know, reduce um, plaques or, or tangles or, or even keep the blood vessels healthy, this could be a therapeutic that doesn't even need to enter the brain to be effective in preventing or treating Alzheimer's, which is really exciting because the blood-brain barrier really is a, a big barrier to um, drug development as well. And get, getting things across and into the brain to actually have their effects is a huge challenge in drug development. So if I had something that was a good cholesterol-based therapeutic that you just add into your circulation and it does its job, then that would be pretty ideal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that would be way better than having to kind of break into the brain to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Don't break uneducated, the brain barrier. That, that's my uneducated opinion. <laughs> I'd say you're reasonably educated, Drake. Yeah, okay. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. 
Well, I mean, that that is really cool, Ellen. I think that your work is really fascinating, well above my pay grade, my knowledge. But I think um, it's really interesting to have that neurodegenerative uh, outlook because we're, you know, again, we don't get, we don't have a lot of guests on that, that kind of break down those those really intricate details about the brain and, and about the body. Um, so what we can do now, I mean, this is kind of a perfect time to kind of transition here because you and Sarah have been working on something to kind of help others understand that in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So as you can kind of see my project, it doesn't really sound like a classic Alzheimer's project where you're trying to fight the plaques and the tangles. That's kind of the main outlook on <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so there's actually lots of different branches of Alzheimer's research um, as we've kind of already gotten into. And um, I guess I could hand it off to Sarah, <laughs> but we've tried to to create a platform that can expose people in Alzheimer's research or neurodegenerative disease research in general to all the different angles that other researchers are, are taking to understand these really complicated diseases. Absolutely. Yeah. Sarah, do you want to give us a little bit of an idea of what the heck you guys are doing? Yeah. So, <laughs> no, what uh, are you on today? What's going on? <laughs> uh, let me start with a story. <laughs> so, when I was a grad student, uh, I... Uh, it's going to sound harsh, but I had a lot of trouble keeping up with the literature and I felt inadequate most of the time because I'd meet people at PETA, our PETA like seminars or journal clubs and they'd say, oh, did you see that paper last week? And I'd say, no, I'm still finishing that paper from the 80s. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> my work for my research. So um, like, and so I put up a Google Scholar alert and uh, get emails every day and I started ignoring them because they just reminded me of my inadequacy. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, okay, like... Uh, there's no way I could keep up with the literature while also being in the lab, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day sometimes, while also taking classes. And a lot of grad students also have another job. So I was also a TA and also had other jobs on the side. Uh, so when, got, when I got home, like, I didn't, like, the last thing I wanted to do was to read anything else that was science related. Yeah. Um, and during the summer, like last two years ago, I was taking the MCAT, uh, the medical college admission test. And I heard about a podcast uh, that really helped me study for it. Uh, so I started using podcasts in general, just to learn about the world. <laughs> There's a podcast for everything. And I really got into <laughs> them on transit. Um, and I thought, oh, geez, like how cool would it be to be able to listen to like, you know, research about Alzheimer's, which is what I was doing my master's on at the time, uh, while I was on the bus, so I could optimize that time. And also, you know, save my eyes from extra screen time. Mm -hmm. And that's how the idea came about. So this is what Aminder is. It's a platform where we summarize abstracts for uh, mainly targeted to grad students, but it's open to all scientists. Um, it is the purpose of it is mainly for scientists who are doing active research, although like anyone is welcome to come listen to them, but I'll let you know, they'll, they can be a little dry and technical. It may be dense if you're, if you're not thoroughly <laughs> invested in Alzheimer's research, it may be dense. Sure. It is yep. quite dense and it is for us <laughs> as well. So that's why like when we prepare, you write scripts and summaries ahead of time, uh, because what we do is that we, uh, download all these abstracts from PubMed, we sort them into different themes. So you'll find an episode, let's say about the cerebrovascular uh, disease mechanisms that would be hosted by Ellen R, who's here with us today. That's uh, me. Yay. <laughs> and we have like episodes about diagnostic tools or an episode about neuroinflammation. So if that's something you're working on, you don't have to go through all the, you know, your Google Scholar alerts or all like the PubMed hits. You can just find that one episode that pertains to your research, or you can also go to one that doesn't pertain directly to what you're doing so that you can, you know, have a less tunnel vision on what you're doing and hear a bit more about cognitive testing, for example, or neuroimaging. Um, so that's what we do. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's really yeah. cool because you do need that. As you said, there's a podcast for everything. And you've just made a, a podcast that no one's been doing before <laughs> um, summarizing that research, right? 
I did look for one actually, like when I was <laughs> like when I got into listening to podcasts. Like there are a lot of podcasts on science communication, and it's a burgeon, it's a field that's really growing and expanding now, and it's amazing. Um, but as much as I looked for this, I couldn't find anything that filled that need for me. So yeah, I definitely yeah. looked too. I remember going into my Spotify and typing in Alzheimer's, and like no podcast <laughs> popped up. <laughs> Darn! <laughs> I was really yeah. hoping I could take a shortcut here. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, it, I think it's it's obvious that, um, you know, Aminder serves such a need and such a, a purpose uh, for researchers of all stripes to come out and, and learn a little bit more on whether it's about, you know, whether it's just for them keeping up on the onslaught of new papers directly related to their field, or they might want to expand their research horizons a little bit. That's never a bad thing, right? For sure. Yeah, throw yeah. it on shuffle, learn something new. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think the target you have, you definitely do have a target audience here, right? And I think that target audience would probably, after listening to this episode, if they're like, you know what, everything that Ellen said is awesome. I, I know exactly what she's talking about. Then <laughs> come on, mind, over. <laughs> they're ready. They're ready to go right. to your to, to a, a minder right now because it's just going to be like just going to be it's going to be in their field right oh yeah just so you know too i i don't think i mentioned this but our aim originally was to cover multiple neuro neurodegenerative diseases <laughs> it's hard for me too <laughs> um but right now we're focusing on alzheimer's disease and it's uh because it's quite a bit of work where it's going to be a while before we transition to other diseases uh so just so you know it is all ad at this point it is a massive um, amount of work there's did you know there's about a thousand papers over a thousand published each month just on alzheimer's if you type Alzheimer's disease into PubMed, it's over a thousand hits. That's insane. It's it just crazy. goes to show how much work there still remains to be done in this area. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, well, it's a massive amount of work. And um, just also like, it's something you can listen to while you're on the bus, when you're going for a walk. Like now I walk more than I used to. Like I'm more physically active, which is good mm -hmm. for the brain uh, <laughs> because I can actually listen to a podcast on this uh, and I have to sit on my desk on my computer and read them on the screen. So Absolutely. yeah. So if you're looking for opportunities to hone some skills in SciComm, like you can email us. We're actively recruiting people to work with us on the team. Uh, it doesn't have to be like podcasting or like hosting episodes. We also put together bibliographies. So each episode does come with a bibliography. So things like that or advertising, um, we can use all the help we can get. So absolutely. There's a big team here. This isn't just Sarah and Ellen kind of showing up and then doing it off the cuff like Kyle and I do. Uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot more going on there. There's a whole pipeline. Yeah. Oh, you mean that they're organized? <laughs> that they have their, their shit together? Yeah. It doesn't sound familiar to me. I don't um, know what that's like. I, yeah. But, but yeah, so that's, I think that's great. And I, I will double shout that out then, Sarah, is that, yeah, if, if you are interested, you guys are, a minder is pretty much functioning out of UBC. Is that correct? Or are you kind of global now? What's the deal with that? Oh, we're global. Global, Actually, just today. Are we global? Or are we yeah, global? we have someone on our team in Dubai. I just learned what? that today. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't even know that. That's awesome. Uh, and like, we have like a few members in Montreal. Um, we have one in the US. Um, so wherever you're in the world, uh, if Wonderful. you're interested in SciComm, we do prioritize enthusiasm over experience. So. Awesome. And it's a great opportunity to kind of hone your skills if you are interested in doing any research in neurodegenerative diseases. Um, that's a wonderful thing to have on your resume, right? Absolutely. It, it's been great, obviously, to learn about some of the work, Ellen, that you're doing and, and everything that uh, the both of you have contributed to the science communication community. And, uh, and obviously, we can't wait to listen to more. So uh, yeah, join us over at Aminder. You can listen to us. So, yeah.